So um, I'm wondering, have, have you ever seen um, that movie, um, the one with the scene, you know, okay, you know it, it's the, um, you know, the guy and he's, um, he's running and he's, he's, he's got he's to gotta get there, he's got to get over there because the, um, the, the, he's got to defeat the bad guy. No, no wait, there's, um, there's a treasure he's trying to get to or, um, or there's somebody he needs to rescue. And so he's running and he's running and all of a sudden he stops because there's a grid before him and, and he realizes there's only one way across and, and he's got to figure out because if he doesn't, if he steps on the wrong one, then he drops into the bottomless pit or the, the ceiling caves in on him or the poison arrow darts come and kill him and he never gets to that thing he's going to. You know that scene? How many movies have we thought of right here? You might be thinking about um, Lord of the Rings. I think Harry Potter's got a version of this. I'm thinking about Indiana Jones, which, yay! Doesn't date me as much as I thought it was going to. Awesome. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot lately about God's plan for our lives. You ever think about that? What's God's plan for my life? What am I supposed to do? Where am I going to go? All that kind of stuff. Anybody? Kind of? I thought maybe you think about that every once in a while. And I, I started thinking that scene that could so totally be a picture of God's plan in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we could even, um, I think we could go to the Bible and totally see how that works. Um, a character like Esther, for example. I'm an Old Testament prof. Come on. You expected that, right? Okay. So, you know, Esther, so she's the, she was the young Jewish girl who became the queen of Persia. And then there was this um, plot that her people were going to be destroyed, killed, wiped out. And so here, this young queen of Persia, her uncle Mordecai comes to her. And in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Do you see that? Every single detail of Esther's life has come together bit by bit, moment by moment to get her to the right place at the right time to be in the right position to do that thing. That Whatever that character is running toward, that's it. That's God's plan. Yeah, I can see that. So let's, let's look at some of those details of Esther's life that got her to that moment that God had for her. If you flip back to the beginning of the book, in chapter one, I mean, we know that if you're going to have all of the pieces of your life come together to get you to that moment, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And the place Esther is in is in Persia. Now, we find in chapter two that Esther is a Jew. She's one of God's people, one of the descendants of Abraham. And way back in Genesis, God had come to Abraham and he had said, you are going to have a family 
that I am going to be in relationship with. And I am going to take you and I'm going to put you in um, that place. I'm going to pick this place for you, the promised land, Canaan, Israel. And that's the space that I am going to live in relationship with your family as I'm demonstrating to all of humanity how I am your God and how you can be my people. That's the place I have for you. Except that's not where Esther is. Esther's over here in Persia. But God had said, this was the place for his people. How, how did Esther get in Persia? Hmm. There's actually a pretty simple answer to that one. And it's sin. The Israelites had lived in that land for years and years and decades and decades and centuries and centuries but they lived in rebellion against God. They rejected the guidance that he gave them to show them how to live as his people. And so for years and years and decades and decades and centuries and centuries, God had sent his prophets to say, um, guys, um, we, we, gotta, we gotta get things together here because we are here learning to be in relationship with God, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And if we don't do that, we're going to forfeit the promises he's given us, this place, this space. But they didn't listen. And so finally, their sin destroyed them. And they were kicked out of that land, and they've ended up here in Persia. Now, by this point, some of um, the Jews had begun to make their way back to Israel. So you could see how maybe they'd be in the right place for God's plan. But Esther, that should be it. End of story. Game over. I, I, I stepped on the wrong block. And I'm gone. Hmm. Well, okay, well, let's just move on. Let's move on. There's another, there's another detail about Esther's life. She's not just in Persia, but she's in the palace. And she has a position. So let's look at how she got there. So that's in chapter 2. And we find there that, oh yeah, it was that um, the egomaniac tyrant ruler of Persia had banished his first king, his first queen, um, because she had embarrassed him in front of his friends. Um, and then he realized that maybe wasn't the best idea. And so to get a new queen, he decided he would go all over the country and abduct beautiful young virgins from their families and force them into his harem, um, at which point he would peruse and see if there might be one that he wants for his queen. And, oh, okay, Esther got that. Hmm. So Esther got to where she is due to circumstances completely outside of her control. The selfish, let's call them evil, plans of somebody else was forced on her 
And she's now living a life that she never would have chosen for herself. It's, it's like if, if I'm on the grid and all of a sudden a big giant sumo wrestler comes flying out of nowhere and knocks me off. I don't know, sumo wrestler? You know, something. Something comes and knocks you off and you land on the wrong block. And that's it. The floor drops out from under you. Decisions get made for me. I hit dead ends. I lose someone. I receive a diagnosis. Game over. End of story. I, I can't get to the right place at the right time for that moment. If that's our picture of God's plan, that everything has to align, then how did Esther get there? She's where she is because of sin and because the evil plan that somebody else forced on her. Is that God's plan? I am here today to tell you that it isn't. The circumstances of my life do not equal God's plan for my life. And I think Esther can help us rethink that. If I go back to chapter 4... Let me read that whole verse, since I didn't before. hate it when preachers do that. That whole verse, chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Not that, not that thing, but there's such a time as this. What, what time was this? Well, it says it right there. It was the time of relief and deliverance for God's people. I think that's one of the most beautiful, most succinct pictures that the Bible gives us of what God's plan is for this world. And that's the experience of relief and deliverance. Those two words give us this amazing picture of a movement away from something, deliverance, a movement out of something, and then a movement into something, relief. Esther and her people needed deliverance big time from a very specific circumstance. They were facing annihilation, genocide, holocaust, and they needed deliverance. And so they came out of that into a life of relief, but it's not just like, whew, glad we avoided that whole genocide thing. That's good. No, 
the relief that they experience. Let's look at it in chapter 8, verse 16. We see that the Jews are experiencing light and gladness and joy and honor. This isn't just a life of peaceful coexistence. Nobody's trying to kill us. This is a life of abundance. So much so that in 817, we see that other people in Persia are looking around going, hmm, I, I want to be part of that group. I, I think it's a good idea to align myself with them. And then other people are brought into this experience of relief. By the end of the book in chapter 10, the Jews are living in Persia and they are experiencing goodness. Makes me think way back to Genesis. God said it was good. God wants a good life for us. And they were experiencing peace, that deep well-being. I put before you today that Esther was living God's plan for her life. But it wasn't because of where she was or when she was there or what she was doing. It was because of who she was. Now, those are some details in the book that often maybe get overlooked, and there aren't a whole lot of them, so I can see why. But let's look at who Esther was. She was a person whose life was characterized by obedience within her realm and the social structure she lived in. Not the disobedience of her people that had brought them to Persia in the first place, but she lived a life of obedience. We also see several times in the book that she received favor from everyone she met. There was something about Esther that drew people to her. And, I mean, this is in the context of the palace. This is in the context of the harem. And it can't just be because she was so beautiful in that context. That probably would have made her more of a target, least less light. There was something internal about Esther, and she received favor from everyone she met. She was also a person of great faith. Back in chapter 4, right after Mordecai has said, go and plead for the life of your people. She knows that she must trust in something far beyond herself to be able to go through with this. And so she dedicates herself to three days of fasting, seeking God for herself and for her people. And she pulled all the Jews in the city fast for three days before I go in. And finally, she is a person of sacrificial love. In chapter 4, verse 16, after she said, okay, I'm going to break the law, I'm going to go in. I know this guy. I have no expectations that he'll give a reasonable hearing to my plea. And so, if I perish... I perish. That's her sacrificial love for her people to seek relief and deliverance for them. There's one other aspect of Esther's character that I want to talk about for just a second. 
because it often gets called into question. At least somewhere in the back of our minds it does. And that's the aspect of her sexual purity. If you go back to chapter 2, you discover that um, all these young virgins who are abducted from their families and put into the harem after they've experienced a year of preparation, then they go one by one for their one night with the king. And the king will evaluate whatever and then decide who's going to be his queen. And if, if you look at Hollywood's version of this, the movie One Night with the King, um, what you see is a very lovely scene in which Xerxes is so overcome with Esther that they sit up all night and talk. It's not just Hollywood who does this. Some biblical scholars need to do this too, or preachers, or me, maybe, in the back of my head, as if I need Esther to maintain her sexual purity in order for her to maintain her spiritual purity. We often look at our sexual purity as kind of a sign of, an indicator of, our heart purity, our spiritual purity. And you know, I think we're right in doing that. I think, that, I think we're correct for two reasons. One, because God has told us, he has given us, what we need to know about how important he thinks this is and how he wants that to look in our lives. The second reason I think we do that correctly is because we live in a time and a place in history where by and large, we retain control over our own bodies. And so when I can choose to follow God's laws, it's a sign of my obedience to him, which is that picture of one of those pictures of spiritual purity in me. But, and please hear me now, when a person is denied control of his or her own body, whether it's culturally as Esther experienced and as many people still today experience, or whether it's situational. For events of violence and abuse, when I have lost control of my own body, then my sexual purity can no longer be equated with my spiritual purity. The reality is Esther did not keep her virginity. But the reality also is that Esther most definitely retained her spiritual purity. And she retained her purpose in fulfilling God's plan. She wasn't disqualified Whatever you have experienced in your life or whatever you will experience, know that God's plan for you is about who you become in him and how you live that out in the world.
what if I chose? What if I chose sexual impurity? What if it wasn't out of my control? Oh, please hear the freedom in this message. God's plan for you is right here. It's deliverance. Deliverance from that sin or any sin if it continues to bind you. But also deliverance from the guilt and the shame and the despair that you may feel because of it. Not that I can continue in that. If I continue in it, I'm not experiencing deliverance. But ultimately, what he wants to deliver me from is anything that would separate me from him. Whatever those details of your life, those details that are out of your control, or those details that were brought along by your sin, let's please get away from this illustration where one bad step ruins it all. And God's plan A for me is gone, and maybe I can live plan B, or golly, I'm probably on plan Q by now. And let's get to a different picture of what God's plan is. Okay, stay with me here. I want you to imagine, in this place just out in front of you, I want to, you to imagine the most beautiful lake you can imagine extending so far you can hardly see the edges and it's beautiful and calm and crystal clear and that is God's plan of relief and deliverance for this world and the details of my life those things that I hold on to so tightly and plan for and this is my life. And in some ways, they're kind of disconnected. I can do this and I can hold on to this and never enter into God's plan. Or I can take these details of my life. Sin the things that have happened and will happen to me that are out of my control, my hopes and my dreams and all of that, and I can submerge it into that water. Can you feel with me the relief, the refreshing, the renewal that he wants to be your life. He wants you to live a life of, of relief, of rest is another word that often comes up in these contexts about God's plan. Peace, that deep peace. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
learn from me, he says. He shows us. He's given us so much detail about what a life of rest and peace in him can be. Lives not bound by worry, lives of forgiveness, lives of love. But that's not it. Because just because I experience relief and deliverance and continue experiencing that, that's also when the ripples begin. Because God's plan for your life, God's plan for Esther's life wasn't just that, hey, Esther, go in and beg the king to deliver you for you to experience relief. No, Esther lived into God's plan for her life when she experienced it, but when she also brought it into the world. She became an agent of restoration, a bringer of relief and deliverance. This is where I really see the details of my life and God's plan kind of coming into alignment because while this isn't God's plan, that's God's plan, where this enters into God's plan is going to determine where I'm bringing relief and deliverance, how I'm bringing relief and deliverance, to whom and with whom and for whom I'm bringing relief and deliverance. So this, this is important, those details of my life. Choosing your major and thinking about how that's going to look when you get out of here. And you are becoming an agent of relief and deliverance in this world all through that. How will you bring deliverance to this world? Will you be bringing deliverance from disease or injury, from oppression, from injustice? Will you help bring deliverance from poverty or from hopelessness or despair or ignorance or hatred? But we, we don't just stop there because we don't just pe bring people away from things. We bring people out of lives of disease and into lives of health. Out of lives of injustice and into lives of justice and freedom and comfort and contentment and wholeness and love. We get to bring more than just deliverance from things people experience, we get to bring deliverance from the brokenness of this world and bring people into the relief and the rest of relationship with Jesus Christ. When you do this, you are living God's plan. And all those fairy tale details of your life right now that you've got planned out, you know, all of those could happen and you could never live God's plan. Or your life could end up looking like nothing that's sitting here today you would ever have thought or picked. And yet, in and through that, 
you can live God's plan for your life. There's one last thing I need to tell you about God's plan. And that is that it's happening. Period. Back to 414. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise. As true as that was in Esther's time, that is so much more true for us today. Because relief and deliverance for this world was signed, sealed, and delivered in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is delivering this world, and it will be delivered. He is bringing relief and rest and peace to this world, and that will be accomplished. And you can hear this as a, this is happening with or without you. Get on board to be left behind. You can hear it that way. Or you can hear that God's plan is an open, constant invitation. Because of Jesus, for such a time as this, in your life is no longer about that moment, something that you might hopefully get to sometime. It's about this. Each and every day of a surrendered life, you can live God's plan. I want to end with a story today, which for me is my most vivid picture, reminder that God's plan in my life is about who I become in Christ and how I live that in the world. I could tell you lots of details about my mom's life. But this story happened at her funeral. I was standing at the front of the church with my dad and my brothers and my husband as hundreds upon hundreds of people went by. I honestly don't remember a whole lot about the day. But I remember this one lady. I'd never seen her before in my life. And she got um, in front to where she was standing in front of me, and she was sobbing. She had to have been standing in line for at least two hours by that point, and she could hardly compose herself. When she did, she was able to say this. You don't know me, but I've drawn your mom's blood every week for the past year and a half. And I've never met anyone like her before. I just want you to know that I'll never forget her. My mom lived God's plan for her life, not because 
of where she lived or what she did or who she married and not because of cancer. My mom lived God's will for her life because of who she became in Jesus Christ, a bringer of relief and deliverance in this world. Go now in the grace of knowing that God's plan for your life is this.